A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you've uh, joined us on the program today. We're going to be taking a look at a new study out uh, that uh, investigated what might be to blame uh, for the rise in violent crime in Philadelphia. Of course, around the country in 2020, uh, we know that uh, violent crime, uh, biggest one-year increase uh, in in 50 years uh, in many cities. And of course, gun control activists say, well, look, we also saw record high gun sales in 2020, so the two must be connected, right? Well, uh, we can talk about cause and effect here. But I, I would say that the um, effect of the rise in violent crime, one of the effects anyway, uh, was a surge in demand for firearms among legal law-abiding gun owners, many of whom purchased a firearm for the very first time in 2020. Uh, gun control advocates would say, no, 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 no. It's the rise in gun sales that is the cause, or at least one of the causes uh, of the rise in in violent crime. So in the Journal of the American Medical Association, uh, there is a a research letter from uh, Jessica Beard, uh, Sarah Jacoby, and uh, Zoe Marr. Changes in shooting incidents in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania between March and November of 2020. So they took a look at Philadelphia Uh, And only Philadelphia. So this is not looking at, you know, dozens of cities. They looked at one city. uh, But Philadelphia actually had a staggering increase in the number of homicides uh, in 2020. They they finished with 499 homicides. That is one below the all-time high. Or maybe it was two below. 501 homicides set back in the 1990s. So this is the biggest homicide uh, uh, rate uh, in 30 years. In Philadelphia, and the violence has continued. This is a headline from just a couple of days ago. Philadelphia homicides up 55% so far in 2021, following a violent Monday that killed seven. Again, this is 55% higher than January of 2020, which uh, was nearly a a record high number of homicides uh, in the city. Police Chief Daniel Outlaw, Police Commissioner Daniel Outlaw. Uh, talked to the press about this earlier this week. She said, quote, we've got to pay attention to themes and patterns. What 2020 showed us is that there's a lot of commonalities as it relates to social media, social media beef. We saw an increase in our domestic violence-related incidents of violent crime or homicides. And then we also saw that a lot of the shootings and homicides were driven by narcotics. She says that going forward, the department is going to, quote, do what it can to bolster its social media efforts with detectives and analysts. The department will also be partnering with community groups in the Office of Violence Prevention to get ahead of domestic violence incidents and, quote, reprioritize those incidents internally. Meanwhile, of course, you've got politicians across Pennsylvania who are saying, well, we need more gun control laws. Clearly, that's that's what's needed. Well, these researchers, again, who took a look at the homicide rates in uh, Philadelphia, not just in 2020, but they actually went back to 2016. And they measured, in fact, let me let me just quote uh, some of the uh, study here for you. Uh, the study accessed data from the Philadelphia Police Department's Registry of Shooting Victims from January 1st, 2016 through January 26, 2020. The registry is updated daily and includes all individuals shot and or killed with a firearm as a result of interpersonal violence. Compared with trauma center records, the police registry contains approximately twice the number of individuals shot with a firearm. Uh, Changes in counts of individuals shot per week were examined following three time points, 
the enactment of Philadelphia's first COVID-19 containment policy, which was the closure of non-essential businesses in March of 2020, the killing of George Floyd, which took place in May of 2020, and the partial lifting of those containment policies in June of last year. So they wanted to see, okay, we'll have this baseline, right? And we'll look at the number of shootings that took place from 2016 right up until the point where those first lockdown orders went into effect. And then we'll look at what happened after the lockdown orders went into effect. We'll look at what happened after the uh, George Floyd death and the riots that ensued. And then we'll look at what happened uh, after those uh, non-essential businesses, quote unquote, non-essential businesses were allowed to reopen, uh, at least on a limited basis in June of last year. They say during the 256 weeks included in the study, 7,159 individuals were shot in Philadelphia. That breaks down to an average of 24.9 individuals shot per week during the 219 weeks before the enactment of the COVID-19 containment policies, and then 46.4 individuals shot per week in the 37 weeks after the containment policy enactment. The model they said that best fit this time series included local autoregressive and moving average terms and a gradual permanent association beginning the week COVID-19 containment policies were enacted. The killing of George Floyd and the partial lifting of containment policies were not independently associated with any changes in shooting incidents. So, in other words, what caused this spike was the lockdown in Philadelphia. And remember, in Philadelphia, Daniel Outlaw also said that those containment measures were going to involve not arresting people for certain crimes. Drug dealing, for example. Prostitution, for example. Uh, basically, every misdemeanor offense, Daniel Outlaw said, we're not going to be arresting people. Uh, they also want, because again, they didn't want people behind bars, right? We don't want to put people in jail because of COVID spread. So not only were they not arresting people who were committing crimes, in fact, they weren't really even investigating in many cases, they would issue, if they did find somebody, let's say, uh, selling crack, right? Uh, well, they'd give them a citation and a summons and say, we're going to come back for you at some point. Okay, well, there's no consequences there. Uh, meanwhile, folks who are in jail are getting released early. They're getting let out on low bond or no bond because, again, the city didn't want them confined. Uh, because they were trying to keep a, a COVID uh, pandemic from spreading uh, uh, through the, uh, the, 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 the local jail system there. So it wasn't the rise in gun sales that led to the increase in shootings in Philadelphia. It was the decision by city officials to lock down the city, but then release criminals that actually led to this uh, spike. Uh, more from the study. These analyses provide evidence of a significant and sustained increase in firearm violence in Philadelphia following the enactment of COVID-19 containment policies. Counts of individuals shot per week continued to increase during protests following the killing of George Floyd and remained high during the partial lifting of containment policies until the end of the study period. They say social and economic distress may account for the observed associations. In Philadelphia, firearm violence incidents has been empirically tied to poverty and structural place-based economic disinvestment. The sustained nature of the increase in firearm violence observed in the study may be related to longer-term effects of COVID-19 containment policies, including intensifying unemployment and poverty, particularly in low, uh, lower-income Philadelphia communities where shootings are the most concentrated. That may have something to do with it. 
But I do find it interesting that none of the researchers actually bothered to talk about what those containment policies, those COVID containment policies meant to the criminal justice system in Philadelphia. And I would argue that that has at least as much to do with the spike in crime uh, as the uh, you know so-called root causes of poverty and unemployment. I, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, there, there's a lot of data that shows um, you know, the, the higher unemployment rates, the more incidents of violent crime uh, that you get. Uh, although there's also contradictory evidence uh, dating back to the 1930s showing that, uh, you know, during the Great Depression, for example, uh, violent crime did not uh, increase uh, along with the, uh, the unemployment rate. Violent crime had actually started going up a little bit earlier uh, and then started to decrease about halfway through the uh, Great Depression around 1934, 1935. So obviously, again, there's, there's not one factor that you can point to and say, aha, look, this is this is it. This is 100% the reason. There are many reasons why violent crime increased in Philadelphia. And I'm sure the increased unemployment rate uh, had, had something to do with it. But I think also the lack of arrests, the emptying of the jails, and then let's talk about the district attorney in Philadelphia as well. Uh, who for the past couple of years has actually been getting a lot of criticism uh, for a soft-on-crime approach. In fact, felony prosecutions in Philadelphia down by about 50% under the current district attorney, Larry Krasner, compared to previous DAs. So that's a factor, too. Um, but the rise in legal gun sales, I, I don't think is a factor. Not in Philadelphia, not in Chicago, not in Los Angeles, not in New York City, where violent crime, by the way, was increased, uh, again, almost a 30-year high in New York City. And I don't think you can blame that on legal gun owners, given that in New York City, it takes up to a year or more in order for you to get your permission slip to simply keep a firearm in your home. Th this wasn't uh, uh, the result of uh, legal gun owners, even, even millions more. Uh, Americans becoming legal gun owners. The rise in violent crime started when the COVID lockdowns began, and they have continued ever since, in large part because our court systems are still screwed up. Uh, this is not necessarily widely reported, but in many jurisdictions, the court system is still operating on, on basically a, a skeleton staff. Uh, and the you know normal business of the court isn't really being conducted. Now, I would argue in the best of circumstances, the criminal justice system has some serious flaws. 97% of felony cases, for instance, end up in plea bargains. But when even the ordinary problems of the court uh, are now amplified by the shuttering of the court system, by the lack of criminal cases that are taking place, it stands to reason that you're going to see more violent crime. Criminal justice experts will tell you that the number one thing that we can do to reduce violent crime is to ensure that there are consequences for violent crime. It's not, well, we can just ban the guns. That, that, that's not their advice. It's not, well, if we just uh, you know, uh, suspend the Second Amendment. Nope, they're not saying that. They're saying if there are consequences... And, and, and actually, criminal justice uh, experts say, you know, it really what those consequences are matters actually less than the fact that there are consequences. 
Now, we could have a discussion about that, but I, for, for the sake of this conversation, I'm willing to... Yeah, fine, fine. So we don't even have to talk about what those consequences are. But for instance, in Chicago, where the homicide clearance rate is less than 50%, I think actually in Chicago in 2020, it was closer to 20%. The clearance rate for shootings in Chicago was about 5%. That means that 95% of the time, somebody shoots somebody in Chicago, an arrest is never made. There are no consequences, at least not from the criminal justice system. The consequences likely come, again, from a friend or an associate or a family member, the person who was shot, leading to another cycle of violence. So rather than gun control advocates demanding, well, we just need more laws on the books, the answer is no, we actually need to start enforcing the laws that are there. And that didn't happen in Philadelphia starting in March of 2020. Many of the laws on the books did not get enforced. Many individuals who should have been behind bars were left on the streets. Many individuals who should have been behind bars were taken out of the jail cells and returned to the streets. And again, 499 homicides later, Philadelphia is still wrestling with the ramifications of those decisions. And so the mayor there, Jim Kenney, the DA, uh, Larry Krasner, the uh, police commissioner, Daniel Outlaw, they can talk about you know, changing tactics and we're going to uh, put more uh, uh, police officers here. We're going to engage with the community over here. And of course, we need more gun control laws on the books. No, you need a functioning court system. You need a functioning criminal justice system. And unfortunately, the damage that these city officials have done over the past 12 months is going to linger, I believe, for years to come. And this, again, is not unique to Philadelphia. This is something that is happening in most large cities around the United States. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day. Our recidivist report, uh, not from Philadelphia, but from nearby Reading, Pennsylvania. This is from uh, actually Philadelphia's uh, NBC 10, uh, talking about a 14-year-old who is facing criminal charges for a shooting that killed one teenage girl and wounded another. This was a Friday night around 1045 in the evening. Uh, Reading Police Department says two girls got into a fight in the city's Oakbrook Homes neighborhood, and then a teenage boy opened fire, killing a 16-year-old girl shooting a 17-year-old in the leg. Uh, According to Chief Richard Tornielli, 14-year-old boy arrested, will be charged as an adult with homicide and related counts. Uh, The uh, chief said the suspect was under supervision of juvenile probation for previous violent offenses. I guess the uh, supervision really was not uh, enough there. Uh, Berks County DA John Adams said the suspect will turn 15 next week. Called the crime horrific. Instead, authorities will try to find out how the suspect obtained a firearm, which he said the youth, quote, had no business having. Well, we'll know he didn't. One way to ensure that he didn't get a gun would have been to, I don't know, keep him behind bars in juvenile custody uh, as a result of the violent crimes that he had previously committed. But yeah, it's probably a topic for an uh, entirely different show. Uh, our armed citizen story of the day from California, Apple Valley. California. There's the headline. Suspect shot dead by neighbor after killing mother and stabbing father in Apple Valley. This was uh, on Sunday. It was about five o'clock in the evening. Deputies responded uh, to a home for reports of a stabbing and a shooting. When they got there, they found a male and female deceased near the front of a home, a third person laying in the street suffering from apparent knife wounds. Homicide detectives say the, uh, the suspect, Jeremy Kroger, 
uh, was at the home of his father and his stepmother uh, when the uh, attack began. For some unknown reason, he attacked him with a knife. According to a sheriff's news release, quote, both victims ran outside and sought help from neighbors. Jeremy then left the location. While neighbors called 911 and assisted the couple, Jeremy Kroger and his wife, Lorraine Corral, Jeremy then returned and began attacking Lorraine Corral again with a knife. That's when a neighbor ran into his home, armed himself with a gun, ran back outside, yelled at the uh, suspect to stop. The suspect did not. He continued stabbing the woman. At that time, the neighbor, an 84-year-old man, shot Jeremy and stopped the attack. Uh, Lorraine and Jeremy were pronounced deceased to the scene. Uh, Jerry Kroger was airlifted to a hospital. He remains uh, hospitalized at uh, last report. Something tells me that this 84-year-old would not have been able to take on the suspect with his bare hands. But because he had access to a firearm, he was able to prevent this attack, hopefully save at least one life. Uh, I'm sure that it is a, a situation that has left him uh, shaken. Um, and our thoughts and our prayers go out to uh, him uh, and all those involved. But I am so grateful that that 84-year-old was able to get a hold of his gun and was able to thwart that attack before there was any more loss of life. Now, on to today's good deed of the day from uh, New Jersey, Long Branch, New Jersey. Sharing uh, this on Facebook, they say on uh, the 4th of February, uh, our agency notified by the borough of Triton Falls Police Department of a heroic act by an off-duty Long Branch police officer within their jurisdiction. This was actually last month, January 2nd. A 56-year-old man suffered a massive heart attack at his residence. The victim's son ran to a neighbor's home for assistance, and he found Officer Kevin Cooney, off-duty at the time, in his own home, who immediately ran to the man in distress and administered life-saving CPR. Looks like the uh, man is going to be okay, thanks to the quick-thinking actions of Officer Cooney, who, in the right place, at the right time, happened to be his home, uh, but still able and willing to do the right thing. So, Officer Cooney, we thank you, sir, for your very, very good deed. Now, that is uh, about all the time we've got for you on today's program. Uh, just a programming note, we're going to be off tomorrow. We'll be back on Monday. We've got some more winter weather moving in, and I'm just not sure uh, whether or not we're going to be able to get to the studio. So we will return on Monday. A couple of other uh, Second Amendment stories to keep an eye on over the next couple of days. We'll be reporting on this at Bearing Arms. Uh, Utah Governor Spencer Cox says that he will sign constitutional carry by the end of this week. So either today or tomorrow, uh, constitutional carry should be signed in the state of Utah. That will make Utah the 17th constitutional carry state in the union. Uh, we are also looking at constitutional carry bills making progress in Indiana, uh, as well as uh, a major expansion to the right to carry in the state of Montana, which is already permitless carry in uh, unincorporated areas of the state. But a bill that is making its way through the uh, Montana House, uh, supported by Governor Greg Gianforte, would uh, allow for permitless carry by legal gun owners uh, throughout the entirety of the state of Montana. So we are making progress. We are also still watching a number of gun control bills being introduced at the federal level in Washington, D.C. Uh, Carolyn Maloney of New York just dropping five more gun control bills, including a uh, smart gun bill that would mandate within five years of this bill becoming law, the only firearms that could be sold, at least new in the United States, would be these so-called smart guns. And then a decade after this law takes effect, even existing uh, uh, firearms would have to be retrofitted somehow with smart gun technology before they could be sold at retail. 
That is one of several bad bills introduced by uh, Representative Maloney, who says she's feeling at least more confident than she has in the past that uh, these bills uh, could get out of the House and could get over to the Senate. So we're keeping our eyes on uh, those bills. We know that there are more on the way in Washington, D.C. So, again, make sure that you're following along at BarryAndArms.com throughout the day and throughout the weekend uh, to keep up with the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss one of these programs. Or if you will watch the show on Rumble, just look up Bearing Arms Cam and Company. That way you'll... Uh, and subscribe. That way you'll never miss a show. Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, townhall.com's podcast page. We got you covered there as well. And a, a final shout out to my friend Will, uh, who sent me this great T-shirt, Ramones-themed bourbon shirt. Will, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. I am uh, sporting it with pride today. Stone cold sober, at least until 5 o'clock. But uh, you have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week. We'll see you Monday with more Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.